Hello, welcome to episode 150 of Three Bears in a Movie. I am Richard Laird and I'm with... Stu McFall. We are obviously not in the same room together. We're doing it by the new medium, or well, new medium of Zoom calling. It's like, ooh, fancy. It's all magical. <laughs> I like it. It's nice. It's, it's been fun because I've been doing a few of these with uh, other people and it's always over the phone. So it's nice to have a bit of interaction. I can see what you're doing when are talking to each other. It's, it's actually quite nice compared to just doing it on the phone all the time. Yeah, man, definitely. It's good. You know, it's 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 the new world, isn't it? We've got to embrace it because chances of being allowed to be in a pub in the next, you know, six months or a year are probably pretty limited. Um, uh. Sadness, yeah. Um, so, this is maybe maybe doing this for forever more, to be honest. Now, but then I would listen to a lot of podcasts in my my downtime, and I think everyone's doing the Zoom thing this now. Yeah, seems seems to be what's being used across the board, doesn't it? Um, and I, I I like it. We when we do our pods, um, previously it's been via phone and. That's great and all, but it is nice getting to see your glorious head. Thank you. Thank in you. real time. <laughs> um, <laughs> just an age of wonder we live in. What are you drinking to make sure? I'm on Punk IPA. Because it's fucking lockdown, isn't it? Because I'm on brand. You can't get anything else in my mind, but you can get Brewdog. <laughs> it's true. Yeah. Because um, like I tried to send you some Brewdog down, and quite frankly, Brewdog were charging a king's ransom to send you stuff down. Um, I am drinking Brewdog Lockdown, which is their way of doing, you know, making money off this thing. I think Shameless. Okay, so this week, cool. as me and you normally do, we, we get together to talk, we're going to not talk about any films in particular, which is probably for the first time all right, because there's nothing out just now, as we, as we know. So we're going to talk about our usual director profile. Um, and for that, we're going to talk about one of the, this was a Mount Rushmore of directors, I suppose one of the guys on the Mount Rushmore of directors, I would say. Um, and that is Martin Scorsese. Yeah. And um, so put out there, you're a fan of Scorsese, correct? Yes. Yes, I am, mate. I'm. A, I'm a very, very big fan of Martin. Um, uh, um. We've been excited about this for a while, haven't we? Yes. I mean, it's hard not to be a fan of Scorsese. I think that's the thing. It's like not. I and mean, you might not be the biggest fan at times, but most people are still a fan of Scorsese. And some you, there'll be a film in this. I think everyone will say you'll like one at least one film in this list. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, so Scorsese was born in New York. I, I'm assuming everyone knew that. You know, he is the typical New Yorker. <laughs> probably the, if, if Woody Allen is one type of New York, I would say Scorsese is the other type of New York. Yeah, he's more, I'm walking here. Yeah. More that guy, isn't he? Yeah, he's, yeah. He, he's a guy who lives in, you know, the down and out areas, but I think Woody <laughs> Allen would probably lived in the very affluent areas. Um, yeah, he was hipster before before that. thing, isn't he? Yeah. Um, what I did find out, one, one little thing I found out about him was, when he was young, he used to go to this one video store to rent a movie. It was called The Tales of Hoffman. Have you heard this film? No. No. But he used to have no. to, he, he would rent it like one week. He'd have to bring it back in the next week. And then somebody else would take it off him. And then he'd have to wait for it to rent it. Because he'd love this film. So he'd rent it again like two weeks later. And then somebody would bring it back in and rent it. And the other person who kept renting it in between him was George Romero. What? So they're basically just trade. They lived in like kind of roughly the same area of New York. Each other. So basically they kept trading this film back and forth between them over the course of like, a year because they, they both wanted to watch it all the time. Wow, I love yeah. that. Yeah, I did nice. not know that. It's a nice little kind of yeah. diagram of these two guys and both obviously went in different directions of their careers but both obviously the same route and in, in this interest and you know this love of film from the very start and off went in different directions with their careers but I kind of like the idea of these two guys that sort of not knowing who each other were but eventually became like massive in their own rights and so I kind of like that we story. That's so cool. Yeah. That's so like, cool. That, it just um, speaks to obsession doesn't it as well? Yeah, I think everyone knows that because to say that he is pretty much a film obsessive. Yeah. You know, he, he watches pretty much everything apart from Marvel films, obviously. Um, <laughs> he got that before me. Yeah. <laughs> but he does, he does watch everything else. And he, I think he's a great historian of film. Like he likes to, I don't know if he curates a lot of stuff or protects a lot of stuff, but he does make a big deal of it. So 
watching stuff from like the 20s and 30s. I think he's one of the biggest like, all films from the 20s as well. You know, so he is a big, he is a yeah. film buff. You know, in the same way Tarantino's a film buff, Scorsese's the same. You know, he's one of those guys just he loves, yeah. you know, he loves the medium and loves everything about it, I think. Um, so we'll get to the train later on, you know, how he changes the medium at times. So we will start with his, as we always do, with his sort of feature films. I'm not going to do the documentaries. Um, we will discuss them at the end. I know you're a fan of some of the documentaries. Um, yes, we'll, we'll kind of mainly we'll do the feature films just now, just to sort of go through it. So his first film was "Who's That Knocking at My Door" in 1967. Have you ever heard of this film? I definitely have not heard of that it's, film. He, number one, it's unique because number one, he was a writer on it. He wrote it as well, which oh. Not, he doesn't do a lot of his own writing. And you look, if you look back at his no. career, he doesn't actually write a lot of his own stuff. Um, it also starred Harvey Keitel, ah, uh, sort of straight away. Right. I, I think he was still in film school at the time. Um, and it's sort of the best way to put it is it's sort of a basically a a prototype of Mean Streets. It's it's not Mean Streets, but it's okay. sort of a lot of the stuff in it is you can see where where he got the Mean Streets sort of main main focus for it later on. So it's it's definitely an indie film. It's definitely a, like almost a shouldn't film, but it's got Scorsese behind the camera yeah. who's honing his trade and a Kaitel in front of the camera who's also honing his trade. So it's definitely a rawness to it. We can definitely see talent there, and it's it is pretty hard to find nowadays to be honest. But if you can find it, it's worth. That's cool. If it completes, it's worth. A yeah. Um, so that's the first one. Um, didn't do really much. He done a lot of short films, and I think he worked in porn at one point. He was like in the film a porn editor, wasn't he? At one point, during the sixties as well. And then he was oh doing yeah, it. I remember that rumor. Was that was that true? I don't know how true it was. It I remember was, that being a rumor. Yeah, he, didn't, he wasn't directly. He was, he was editing. He's done. He's done a lot of drugs at this point as well in life. And he was like, I think he was editing porn movies just in the side, just to try and keep him like keep himself afloat while he done all stuff. And then a film called uh, Boxcar Bertha in nineteen seventy two. You heard of this one? I haven't. No. no. Not gonna uh, lie. Produced no. by Roger Corman, so you can imagine it's relatively cheap with Corman, you know, yep. holding the pot strings. Um, David Carradine in it. <laughs> yeah, and it was a comedy as well. What? Yeah. <laughs> it, it's a very odd one. I, I can't remember, remember ever seeing it. I think I have seen it, but I really honestly cannot remember it. But I'm reading the synopsis, the synopsis of it, and it did sound vaguely familiar. Um, but I can't recall much about it. And it is one of the ones, again, it's it's only for completists by all accounts. It's not, people will not remember it in the same way a lot of his other work. Um, so that was the kind of last film that's sort of under the radar. His next big one was his sort of break. Well, I think the one that everyone assumes is his debut film, which is Mean Streets. That came out in 1973. Everyone assumes that's his first film. Have you seen uh, Mean Streets? I've seen Mean Streets several times, yeah. Yes. Big fan. Um, yeah. Again, writer-director on it as well. So starts out as a writer-director. Mm. It's only later on he sort of becomes not a writer-director. Um, what do you think of Mean Streets? Yeah, I, I'm a big fan of Mean Streets. It's um, it's it's a really raw film. Mm. If that's what I think, that's why it feels like the the debut because it's uh, the, the films you've just mentioned there obviously haven't left their mark um, in 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 the greater um, cultural canon by any stretch, have they? No. Th- this is. This is Scorsese finding his his niche, really, isn't it? If he's done a comedy before this and maybe like a, a Bones draft version of this beforehand as a student film, then this, for all intents and purposes, is is the Marty that we definitely the seeing Marty that we know and love formulate on screen. And and Kaitel's fantastic. We're introduced to De Niro as well. It's most I imagine most people our age fell in love with Scorsese, with the big films, the Goodfellas, Mother, and they work their way back. Um, yes. And they, they eventually find Me Streets, maybe, you know, after uh, a couple of the other films that you're going to mention shortly. It's probably one of the ones we go to last. But I, I think it's it still holds up. It's still a, a really enjoyable film. It's raw, and it's 
it does it's not as timeless as some of his other films but i, I think it's the it's the really b- beginnings of his um his niche yeah but oddly, i find it less raw than a film we'll talk about later on that i only watched recently for the first time uh, raging bull where i thought that felt more like a student film than this did this feels this does feel to me a complete film it feels like a guy who knows what he's yeah. doing which obviously he's obviously learned from what he's done in the first two features of you know picking out what he wants to do this one felt i mean maybe like i said other films maybe that he's going for a certain tone but this does film this feels like a complete film that was made by an, a competent filmmaker it doesn't have it is by all means like you said it's a raw film it's definitely an, it call an indie now but it doesn't feel in any way like it's it's rushed or it's been put together haphazardly it feels it's a guy yeah. who's competent in what he's doing yeah, yeah. Um, no, I completely agree with you. I think the rawness really is just in terms of the sheen, uh, in terms of the, the the very literal production values and everything yeah. else. That the fact that later on he's he's so he, he takes that world and he makes it so much more macrocosmic, doesn't he? Yeah. Whereas here it's it's very you know it's limited by the by the budget and everything else. But no, you're right. It is. It feels quite confident. Quite a confident. Film. Yeah. It does feel like it doesn't feel like a, a debut film. That's and that's because it's not a debut film. So that's going to be what we're trying to get. Mm-hmm. It, it has a definitely. It's not a swagger, but it definitely has like a, a professionalism that you maybe don't expect from. Say, yeah. if you want something like Reservoir Dogs, has a has a rawness to it that you can see as a filmmaker still honing his craft. It's brilliant, but you can still see as a whole filmmaker honing what he's going to do. Event and he expands on later on. Even you watch um, Spielberg's Jewel, you can see that there's still a rawness to what yeah. he's doing. Whereas this film does, and Spielberg managed to hone himself on like, TV shows. You know, in the, during the during the seventies, you know, in sixties, he'd done a lot of TV TV shows to try and get the competency of a director. But there's still a rawness to Jewel that's not there when you're looking at Mean Streets. So, about seventy-three, that was a massive hit in comparative terms. It put him on the map. People did notice him, and there was a. I think again, he was more embraced by the European scene compared to the American cinema. Like it was, yeah. it was definitely the French liked it. I think the British sort of went for it, and mm-hmm. I think it wasn't really beloved in America as much as it was over here. I think he, he always has that sort of European audience. Compared to the, the American yeah. things, yeah, I think that's a, that's a good point. Um, for someone who writes um, and directs and tells stories ostensibly about America, yeah, um, he he tells it in such a way. And again, we'll delve into this later when we we when he moves away from crime and into some of his more auteur style flicks. He is, as you say, a cinephile, but his real love is you know very artistic, very um, impressionistic. 1930s French cinema, isn't it? You yeah, know, he's a proper, he's a proper hipster. He's not, <laughs> you know, he's a film hipster, isn't he? In a sense, yeah, I, yeah, I know yeah, he loves yeah. everything. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He, he, he um, likes he so likes a film that maybe ten people have seen. He doesn't like the big budget things to an extent. He likes a film that no ten people have seen. Um, but they put him on the map. Um, after that, he done a film called Alice Doesn't Live Here Anymore. You heard this one? I have seen it. I have seen it when I was delving into Scorsese's back catalogue when I first became a bit of a geek. It yeah. didn't leave an indelible impression from no, memory. No, I remember Chris I, I literally was about to say, but I remember Chris Christopherson. <laughs> 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 uh, yeah, I, I, I just, it was a long time ago. I didn't, I couldn't even really tell you what it was about. Totally. It was a rom- it's a rom-com. I'm, I'm leaving off a phone. It's, it's, it's recently a, widowed woman is on a road with a precocious son. It's a road trip style. Yeah. Yeah. So it's got a bit of a, what was it, oh shit, the one that Bradley Cooper done recently, the remake of everything. Star is Born, yeah. It's got a wee, not quite, it's got a wee bit of that in it, you know, especially Christmas is popping up in it as well, obviously. 74, we've been not a kick in the ass off when his version of Star is Born came out, so it'll be, obviously Christmas often had a, he had a niche that he put himself into. 
Um, Keitel was in it again, so obviously he, there's a point where Keitel just gets sort of replaced. I've noticed, you know, like early on he was all about Keitel, and then yeah. after Mean Streets he sort of latches onto De Niro a lot more. He, he, he does this though, doesn't he? Yeah, but does Keitel pop up again at any point in any films, like from here on in? That's a great. That's a great question. Um... I'm just thinking, the big, think, I'm surely, thinking, I'm thinking the big gangster so. ones. He's not any of them, is he? No. No. Uh, um, Irishman, he is. In the Irishman, sorry, later on. So, I mean, that's from like, that, that's from like 74 to 2020. You know, he's, he's odd that he's never again. Anyway, it also Jodie Foster in it, which also I think is telling because the next film he did was Taxi Driver, 76. So, this is this Mean Streets is the one that I think Cinephiles will see is his breakthrough film. I think in the mass audience, Taxi Driver is the, the, the breakthrough movie. The, the yeah. Sort of, oh, yeah. He's still, is he still known for Taxi Driver? Hmm, possibly. I think would, would some of the later ones replace that? Does he know uh, Driver? I th- yeah, I, I think yeah, I, you, you could make a case for that. I think Taxi Driver is the one with it's made the public lexicon in terms of um, quotes. Yeah. You're talking to me. You're talking to me. You know, that yeah. it is. It's in the pantheon of film quotes. Even if you haven't seen the film, you know that quote. Yeah. That's when you know it's transcended, you know, yeah. viewing um, it's, not, that, it's not an art house movie at that point in time. It's, it's bigger than an art house film. You know, it's, it's part of the public yeah. discussion. Um, written by and, Paul Schrader yeah. as well. Yes. I know you're a fan of Paul Schrader. It's, I mean, it's it's yeah. Every film you see after that with Paul Schrader's name on it always says, from the right of Taxi Driver. So it's, it, he's still in Delta. Yeah. Um, yes, it's probably it's a bit it's introduction to De Niro as well. De Niro, this was his breakthrough as well, clearly. Yeah, yeah. So, nothing like before that. Um, and Portly picked up the Palme d'Or in Cannes in '76. Um, so it's definitely it's. I am I, I like the film. I think, I, think it's a, I think it's a very good film. It's not my favourite stuff, Susie, because I think part of that is I saw it quite late on. Like I think I was in my twenties before I saw it. So. Mm-hmm. I've seen a lot of films that had ripped it off in many ways. So it's one of those things when you see a yeah, film yeah, yeah. ripped off and you almost know the story and you almost know what's happening in it, that the impact yeah. of it isn't the same. If, I, if, this, if this was the first first film I'd seen, then I think it would have a massive impact on you. I think you probably saw it earlier than me, therefore it's had a bigger impact on, your, on yourself. I, I would completely agree with everything you've just said there. I, I, it is one of those films that you catch it at a certain age and as you say, it's so influential and so blatantly ripped off something like joker as we've discussed before is an absolute almost carbon copy of it so and and that's why young people who are watching that for the first time are blown away yeah um uh, and you know that that's that is what it is it's fine but i did i caught it at 16 i think i think i caught it at 16 um and it, it did leave a huge impact on me it's not one i will watch often I, I've, I've probably only seen it four or five times probably yeah. ever I'm the same. I think I've only maybe watched it twice, maybe three times, and I not only that, I have no real urge to go back and watch it either. Um, occasionally, it's, I might, yeah, then maybe like put it on. But you know, there's others because I'm a bigger fan of that. I would much rather watch than this one. And again, it's not a detriment to what it is. It's, it's not a no. happy, a comfortable. It's not even. A, it's not a comfortable watch at any point, and it's not a fun watch at any point. No, no, it really isn't. It is a, an absolutely superb piece of filmmaking and with a wonderful central performance. Um, Jodie Foster also incredible. Yep. It's 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 a film to be critiqued. It's a film to be studied. It's a film to be appreciated. And for a film like that to become a huge box office sensation and in the cultural lexicon, 
just speaks to what a golden age of cinema in the 1970s was. Yeah. But um, and, and what a strange time it was too. Yeah, the fact that something like that could make like so much. I don't know if it made that much money, but it made so much of an impact. You know, I suppose like you mentioned, yeah. Joker's made that kind of money or massive money based on this basically the same story. But obviously, it has the one difference to that film, which is called the Joker. You know, it's it's got. A, DC character that brings an audience in originally. Yeah. The driver doesn't have that. Yes. It's a film. I mean, the poster itself wasn't, it's not a poster that tells you anything. They, they would draw you in. You know, the only person I remember is one with the new no. impact in the background. It's not, they're looking at it going, well, obviously, I'm going to go and see that film. That looks amazing. It's, it's, it, it made a film based on, you know, with a mouth and it, it's quality, I guess, shone through on that one. Yeah. It, it feels like it is quality that shone through. It's it's a really challenging watch, like you say. It's not something you could go back, and it it's it, um, it fits within a certain category of Scorsese film, I think. And we'll probably discover this as we go through. Yeah. That are really great to be appreciated and lauded, but don't necessarily have the same rewatch value as some of the yeah. more entertaining flicks. Yeah, that's thing. It's a great film, but not overly entertaining. Yeah, like it's it's stunning to watch, but not the most entertaining to watch on a Friday night. Um, Agreed. After that was 1977, he done a film called New York, New York with Liza Minnelli and De Niro. Have you seen this one? I have. Yeah, I liked it. I don't like musicals, but I, I, I liked it for what it was. I, it I was again, I think I've only watched it once. Musical-ish. It's musical drama, but yeah, right. there's a lot of singing. But yeah, Liza Minnelli's in it. It's, it's, it's fine. My dad really likes it. I think I watched it with him. Yeah, weirdly. But uh, he's such a Marty and De Niro nut. I think that's why I just ended up watching all these films when I was young. Um, but it, it was it's a it's a it's an entertaining romp. It's, there's there's um, some darkness there too. Good performances. I've seen it once. I probably don't need to see it again. I've going. I've seen it. Have they got a kind of fabulous Baker Boys vibe? Yeah, 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 has, yeah. Has, but, yeah. But, but, but the bridges, obviously. Yes, exactly. Yeah. Um, <laughs> after that, 1980, um, Raging Bull. So, yes. so you watched this recently? I did. I watched it in the last. What must be the last four or five months? I watched this. Um, I've had the DVD sitting there for about a decade. Just and it's like, like it's yeah. a good prop. It's like a three-disc Raging Bull set. I just haven't ever sat down to watch it. Um, yeah. So it's De Niro's first award for best actor. Is it his first? It was his first. Is it, he won it, but I think it's his first best actor award. Um, he started working with Thelma Shoemaker at this point, the editor, and that becomes a big kind of like mm-hmm. a, the way you always find director, uh, directors and editors work together. It's sort of a beginning of this partnership. Um, also nominated for best picture. Um, Pesci got a nomination for best supporting, and someone who was best supporting female in that. I can't remember. I can't remember who it was, but it'd be. It was. What was her name? She had the same name as the Sherlock guy, Moriarty. What was her name? Someone. Kathy. Uh, Kathy. Yeah. Kathy Moriarty. Yeah. And, Moriarty. and also, um, he first got nomination for directing as well, and also nomination for cinematography. So in a way, Taxi Driver was sort of the film that broke him through into the sort of and I saw certain audience. This is almost like not. And that was door getting broken down into a more mainstream audience to the fact that the Academy's recognizing this. You know, I don't think the mm. Academy really recognized Tax Driver, did it? At all? No, no. Did Schrader get best? There was, there was... Did, did Schrader win best screenplay? Schrader, Schrader won screenplay, yeah. But that was it. Schrader won screenplay, but that was it. Yeah, this is acknowledging the filmmaking as well. Um, like yeah. I said, I've, I watched a film recently, and again, it's been hyped. So, I walk, so I'm walking into it not quite in the same mindset as somebody who watched it for the first time, which I think it does raise expectations based on what everyone else thinks of this film. Um, when I saw it, I, I enjoyed it a lot of it. I thought it was very rough. It felt at times like a French art house movie. It didn't feel as polished yeah. as it was all work. Um, yeah. I think that was deliberate for the most part. I don't think it's yeah. a... Yeah. Like, it seems like at times he left the camera running and let De Niro just go for it at times. And it really... It felt odd. It didn't feel... 
quite as polished as a, as a Scorsese film should be. He didn't feel quite as using quite as much control of this one as other films. Like there was also the flourishes that he uses in other films. He had them in this, you know, particularly the boxing scenes, you know, and the, the transitions between the boxing scenes and sort of real world. It was more the scenes between, particularly between De Niro and um, his wife Moriarty. It, it, it felt very um, improvised. It didn't feel quite as scripted and quite as pinned down as what you expect from a studio film. That being said, I still enjoyed it yeah. immensely. I thought it was great. Pesci is phenomenal in it, um, as Joe oh, Pesci yeah. always is. Um, De Niro, it's, it's not even, it's, I, I, I get why he won the Oscar for it, because obviously it's one of those performances that's, that appeals to the Oscar voters, and it has a physical change as much as a, a, a um, performance change. But it's definitely not even probably my top five De Niro performances, to be honest. It's, it's not up there with me, to be honest. I thought it was good, but it's not in his top level for me. I, I, I wouldn't necessarily disagree. Again, this film caught me really early on, and I hadn't really, I hadn't seen anything like it at this time. Still in my teens, yeah. and so it is, it is really dear to me in the sense that it, it really opened up a, a world of possibilities. It just, you, I think you described so many things really well there. Like the looseness of it, the lack of control, is a perfect way of describing it. I think because, and that that I. As with everyone with Scorsese, I don't know, there's a reverence I have for him, so perhaps I'm attributing something that isn't there, but I don't know. It feels as if that's a deliberate move because there's a complete lack of control in the main character, in LaMotta. There's yep. a complete lack of control with every every time De Niro's on screen, you're never quite sure what he's going to do. It's It's been... Another one of them has just been parodied and it's been... Um, it's so revered and, and deified that it can be really hard, especially for someone like yourself who's seen so many films, to watch something like this and go, well, this is exactly what I expected it to be. Yeah. Whereas you can imagine the context of watching something like that in 1980. Yes. It must have yeah. been pretty mind-blowing. Um, Absolutely. Yeah. I, I think I agree with you on De Niro as well. It's a great performance, but really it's it's De Niro in his golden pomp. So he's, he's churning out great performances all over the place. And... Mm with a retrospective such as this, we can look back and we can analyze the best performances. He is, he is incredible in it. He is absolutely incredible, but it's not perhaps as incredible as it is lauded to be. But I think it's, he almost set, this became the precursor for what the Academy loved, that body transformation, that Stanislavski method, that, um, that, that it's not a pandering to the crowd, but, you know, giving them, a proper transformative performance, yeah. and especially it's based on a real person. Yeah. It's, it ticks all the boxes now, and how many Oscars have been given out on the back of this template? Ah, it's not enough to be a good performance now. It has to almost be, like you said, like a physical change, you know, put yourself through hell in order to, to get the, the award. You can't just be good at your job. You can't just be a good actor, you know. Um, no. That being said, it is a great story. It's, it's, it's played fantastically, and it's pulled off fantastically well. Um, engages completely from start to finish. I, I never at one point was bored watching it. I just because, like, no. if, thing is, well, if you're watching this, if you're a fan back in the 60s and you're watching these films as they come out, this would be, like you said, epic. Because myself and you, you have, like, sort of, we have a hindsight of what came out after it. Yeah. Um, it, to me, it just feels, it doesn't feel like an odd one out, but it does, it feels just, like you said, it's just a bit off the left a little bit. It just feels different from what I'm st- from what Scorsese has lived in, in the past. Yeah. Uh, I, 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 yes. I, I don't... I, I love it. And every time I watch it, 
again. I've watched it a few more times. But I've probably watched it maybe five or six. Mm. And every time I watch it, I come away going, bloody hell, that is a masterpiece. Yeah. But I don't need to watch it for another four or five years. <laughs> yeah, I will, so it's, I will watch done. it again. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it might not be for another 10 years, but I will watch it again. Um, yeah. I have, and I'm more interested in watching that again than seeing Mean Streets or Taxi Driver again. Um, yes. But, yeah. I, thought, I mean, it's, to say Region Bull is a good film is an understatement. It's a phenomenal piece of filmmaking. Um, and it will, one of the films that will live for 100, 100 years. And the next Martin Scorsese will be talking about that. Like, yeah, we want to film in his collection, you know, that he wants to emulate in some way. Um, also, yeah. 1980 would have been a bit of time. When did Rocky come out? 79, 81, 79? Late 70s, I think, just right on the so course. Yeah. It is sort of, I mean, Rocky 1 is a bit grittier than what people give it credit for. It's not as, you know, well, Rocky, Rocky's mm-hmm. out in 76, um, so Rocky 2 is out in 79, and Rocky 2 isn't gritty. Rocky 2 is, is, is just pure, like, sort of box office cinema. So it is almost a film, yes. sort of, it's the, the flip side to it, you know. It's, it, it, it's, yeah. It's, it's that thing, you know. You know, If it came out at the same time as Rocky, you might be com- putting those comparisons. To, you know, Rocky is a gritty film, um, but Rocky 2 isn't. It is. They come out in the last, in the final 18 months of each other, then it makes it, Maybe maybe audience were hankering for when Rocky Two, but they would want something like Rocky. They didn't get that with Rocky Two, so the Raging Bull fills that void or something that's like the gritty, dark, disturbing boxing film, yeah. not the sort of showmanship and flamboyancy that, that Rocky Two was. Um, after it's, it's Bull, a, there's a realism. Yeah, yeah what's after, after the Raging Bull? Through, through yeah. Eighty um, Two was his first major box office flop, which although it has been critically strong and it has been reappraised by audiences recently, which is King of Comedy, again starring De Niro. Um, most people really dislike this film. I actually don't dislike this film that much. I think it's a, it's a, it's a far more interesting De Niro performance to me than, than it's given credit for. And so much so that when I was watching Joker with De Niro in it, I, I realised how I, was, I thought that was an, an awful De Niro performance um, in Joker. I think he was trying to sort of be a bit like this guy and it's like you're not that's it's, it's it didn't hang on the same way um but i really like king of comedy i think it's a really good a really well done film i think it's a really good film as well it's interesting as well i 100 uh, agree i i think it's one of those films it's dark yeah. as hell it's got a brilliant jerry lewis performance um and uh, de niro's doing lots of interesting things there's way more like de niro raging bull is superb like we say but we have to caveat that by saying well de niro we've done versions of that role many times that kind of um that hunkered down tightly wound intensity that's just yeah. ready to spring out of him like a coil or as king of comedy there's a lot more nuance there yeah. uh, there's a vulnerability as well i think there's there's a lot going on uh, and again obviously joking napped a lot too from yeah. this film <laughs> um, also it, it wasn't critically panned it was actually it was received very well by critics it was just the box office. Oh, right. Killed it. Yeah, box office. Just the figures, right. Um, but no, critically, it was people really liked it. It was well received when it first came out. Um, I think maybe that's why he stuck around and why it has become one of those touchstones for directors and, and writers and other filmmakers because they maybe thought they were cool by watching the film. Everyone else said, was no one else saw this. Only go, wait, I've seen another Scorsese film. I've seen like, a different Scorsese movie. And maybe that's why it has yeah. sort of remained in the lexicon quite so much and why it was such a big like influence on Joker, alongside Taxi Driver, but I think I actually see more King of Comedy in ta- than Joker than Taxi Driver. Yeah, um, in fairness, you're right. In fairness, that that is, yeah, there is more um, that there is more taken from King of Comedy than than Taxi Driver. 
Um, but no, again, King Kong, it's, it's not a bad film by any stretch. It's, it's a, I think it's a very, very good film and probably one of the ones I would actually watch yeah. more so. I think it's more accessible. It's not quite as nasty. No. It, yeah. It, 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 there is an accessibility to King of Comedy. I've watched it quite a lot of times. It used to be on all the time when yeah. I was when we were younger. Do you remember? <laughs> it's just always on. Yeah, you found like BBC Two every night for something. Like, like, yeah, it like was. late night BBC Two. Yeah, it was the like, green mile of his day. You yeah, <laughs> you saw that Channel Four used to always show Battle Royale for some reason. Which is very odd. Battle Royale, Royale, yes. Yeah. Um, <laughs> 1985, it goes back into comedy. Although we think you argue that King of Comedy did have some comedy in it as well. Um, which was After Hours, um, which stars Griffin Dunn, Rosanna Arquette, Vienna Bloom, Tommy Chong from Cheech and Chong, uh, and a young Linda Fiorentino. Um, do you remember this film at all? No, I may have seen it. I can't remember it though. It's um, an ordinary word processor, has the worst night of his life after he agrees to visit a girl in Seoul who he met that evening in a coffee shop. That's the premise of the film. I have not seen it, so I really can't comment on it. But it's very weirdly sandwiched between some other films. But I think maybe the problem with it is always a kind of... Even after the hits of Taxi Driver, and I think New York, New York done well, Raging Bull done really well. It's a rule of three. Once you have three good ones, the fourth one's going to suck and you have to have some level of contrition after that. You have to do some film that you didn't want to do. You have to sort of maybe toe the company line and do some safer movies. Um, yeah. This was one. A year later, they done the same... I done another safe film called The Color of Money, um, which is a sequel to The Hustler. Starring Paul Newman and yep. young Thomas Cruise. Um, young Thomas Cruise, yeah. Yep. Um, won Newman's Oscar, which beyond deserve. Um, I, I, I maybe kind of like Paul Newman too much, but I really, I really like this film. Um, yeah, man. I know it's not beloved as a, as a Scorsese movie because he is basically doing it kind of directing for hire at this point in time a little bit. You know, he's, mm. he's trying to get back in the good graces, maybe raising money for um, uh, for future projects, you know, trying to get in back in the studio's good, good books. But it's a film with fucking Paul Newman and Tom, Tom Cruise in it. It can't be. It's not bad. It's it's fantastic. It's got Wills of London in it, which I think is you know again brilliant. Yeah. So I'm happy with that. Cool. Yeah. Um, yeah. I, I really like. It's it's just a good. I think it's a really good road movie, and that's what I like about it. I enjoy it. This was a film I, I watched again with my dad, who's just a Paul Newman geek. So I I have really fond memories of enjoying this film and it's as you say it's Scorsese it's Newman it's Cruise I mean what's yeah. not to love I mean I know it's seen as a bit glib in comparison to the the original um but and maybe you know Marty's being a bit more cynical there and it's there's not cynical but you know he knows how to play the game you know yeah. and he want, if he wants to get his his um his true creative passions made then sometimes you got to do some shit you don't want to do maybe yeah. but I don't know I haven't heard him talk about this was he not was he that's, not a that, fan of doing it? Or? Yeah, that's what I've got from it as well. I don't really... When he talks about his other films and he talks about his, his works, he doesn't yeah. really seem to very much skim over this one. Yeah, um, yeah. Which is odd, because like he's won an Oscar, won an Oscar for, for Newman, which is obviously great. I, and it's, it, it's, a, it's a good, solid movie. And I think maybe he yeah. is one of those films where he was somewhat forced into doing it by the studio to some degree in order to, to raise money and it's one for you, one for them kind of thing. You know, he had to get back in the... The good box office and it done well at the box office so at that point he has bank to use when it comes to funding the next movie so yep. maybe he just sees it as a, maybe a dark period of himself there is a chance that Scorsese was so high on something that he forgets he ever made it he has got a kind of Stephen Kingness it, about him at times yeah, yeah. He, he, <laughs> during that period during that period in the 80s when he was riding high he was he was yeah. he was pretty um self-destructive I believe yeah yeah so he might have yeah. forgot he's done this film, you know. Like he Stephen might have forgot he did it. Yeah. Yeah. It's like, it's like Stephen King writing Carrie. He doesn't remember he does it or something. You know, it's one of those kind of things. <laughs> um, 
his next film <laughs> out in 1988. I hope he remembers this one, which is um, The Last Temptation of Christ. Um, yeah. Willem Dafoe. Um, as a lapsed Catholic, this is a film that I have seen way more than I probably should have seen. Um, <laughs> and this is one of my favourite Scorsese films. It genuinely is. I think it's a fantastic telling of that story. Probably it brings a humanity to a character that is obviously a deity, and that to me is what the, his whole point was. It was it's, it was the, yeah. it's not to make a fun of, it's not to take the piss, it's not to in any way sort of offend anyone. It is literally to bring a humanity yeah. to something, and I think throughout the whole film it does that in every respect that it does. I think every character in it is at the you know the other characters in it who are in the Bible who are treated as deities and as almost fictional characters, and they may well be fictional characters. But he gives them a realness and a, and a, a believability that honestly hasn't been matched. Even when I was watching something like The Passion and the Mel Gibson one, there's still a reverence there. They, they treat him as a god yeah. in that film, whereas this film yeah. doesn't treat him as a man. And it, it gives them the same way that a film about Guantanamo Bay would treat you know, a prisoner. You know, the, the idea this person's got a life yeah, and a family. Yeah. And, and a yeah. This does the same to the, the Christ figure in this. Um, also, I think Defoe is fucking phenomenal in it as well. Um, as he always is. He is. Um, I think Bowie's fantastic in it as well. Bowie's great. That's what I was about to say. Bowie could yeah. Bowie in it. <laughs> um, and I think it's just, it's one of those films, it's, I think the the criticism of it, or the, not the criticism, the, the controversy behind it, um, has in some way um, rated it, or brought it down a little bit when it shouldn't be, it should be held up. It's not only a great example of filmmaking, it's obviously a deeply personal filmmaker, film for him, who obviously is I think quite strongly yeah. Catholic. Um, oh, Keitel's yeah. in this. He plays Judas. How did Keitel play Judas in this? Remember trying to think of a Keitel film that he's in later on? I can't remember him as Judas. I, I, I remember Bowie very clearly. <laughs> I need to rewatch. Yeah. I mean, I'm looking at, I'm looking at, yeah, he plays, he plays Judas. I'm going, I, can't, I knew he was in something else, but he plays Judas in this. Um, so, yeah, that's, I really dig this one. I think it's a fantastic. Again, I'm not going to watch it every night. I'm not going to watch it every year. But every time I see it, when no. I do watch it, I, I have nothing but love and respect for it. There's, there's nothing I can add um, to what you've, you've articulated superbly there. I, I think it really is um, the humanity shown here is, is absolutely on display. It's probably his most personal film he's made up to this point. It's a shame that the Fiorari has masked the fact that it's a really excellent piece of filmmaking. Yeah. Great writing again. Pretty sure it was Paul Schrader again, wasn't it? It's, it's very, it's, it's a very much a Schrader. Ugh a Schrader script in the sense that he is obsessed with complicated men. Yeah. So it, as simple as that, um, I, I, there's some great performances all the way through. Defoe, who never lets you down. Um, Kurtel, who I can't remember. <laughs> to revisit, and Bowie's, Bowie's great. Yeah. And I, I really like the film. Seen it, only seen it a couple of times, but really enjoyed it both times. Equally, I don't think there's anything particularly offensive in it. That's the thing. I don't think there's anything that, that is offensive. I think it is because he treats him as a man. That's what offends people. Yeah, you know, I think and, that's absolutely bang on. But there's, there's literally there's no violence in it. But there's violence in the passion. There's bad language in it. There's bad language in the passion. You know, it's it's not that's not people offended by it. Just the idea of, of seeing this man being treated as a man and not a god. That's and been brought been brought down to essentially our own level. Which and this is a bit noisy about it as well. The entire point of the Christ story is what they, he was a god who lived on earth as a man. He lived as a human. He lived as a yeah. as a mortal man. Yes. And he brings he that, experienced pain in the same way. Experienced pain. He loved. Yeah. Experienced everything. He wasn't supposed yeah. to be above yeah. us. He was supposed to try and show us the way, but he was supposed to be one of us. And he, yeah. he says he shows that, and people didn't like it. It's like it's just that really portrayed me. It's like surely this is what you want to see from the, the god, like the god. You know, you don't want to see the god on high who 
is constantly vengeful and just shouting down at you. This guy who lives among you, that's the more interesting story. Um, but yeah, so I think it's it's not on enough anymore. It's really hard to find on DVD and Blu-ray as well, which I think is really annoying. Um, I want to find a way to buy it so I can have a copy of it. Um, but I love it. I think it's a fantastic movie and vast. And, and some way on, people who love it, love it, but I think it's underrated by too many. Yeah, I, I wouldn't disagree. I've always thought it was a very good film. Very good film. Okay. I'd like to rewatch. Been a long time, actually. Yeah. Um, next one, 1990s on a roll right now. Goodfellas. What's that? Right. This is a writer. He's a writer as well on this one. So he's a co-writer on this <laughs> as well for the first time in quite a while. Um, I think there's not much to say about the film. I think everyone knows Goodfellas. It is, it is, it is a quintessential gangster film now, isn't it? It is the one that everyone sort of references that everyone is trying to emulate yeah. every time they're doing a gangster film. There's, there's, it is pretty much the template of every gangster film now. You know, even The Sopranos yeah. is trying to be Goodfellas. You know, to, 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 it's, it's sort of so inspired by Goodfellas. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's got half the cast. Yeah, Goodfellas is... You could make a real case for Goodfellas being the most, one of the most influential films of all time, in the yeah. fact that it's influenced whole genres of TV shows, you know, yeah. <laughs> countless movies, Guy Ritchie's career. Yeah. Um, you know, it's <laughs> uh, you could you could make a strong case for that. It's and it, it doesn't date either. No, it doesn't. That's, that's the best thing about it. Yeah, it doesn't. Yeah, and it, I could re- I can watch Goodfellas. It's got that pulp fiction quality where. It's on any stage during the film, any time of night, and it's on. I'm going to watch it. I, yeah. I can't tell you how many times I've seen it. Yeah, it's I'm, I'm much the same with Goodfellas. It, it is, it's like you said, Pulp Fiction is best way to describe it. it is, no matter what scene you drop into, it, it is so instantly watchable from start to finish. Um, but but you, as soon as you watch, you need to drop in anywhere through it. You know, there's going to be something that will make you laugh and it'll make you and it'll probably yeah. deeply trouble you at times as well. Um, yes. A lot is made of Joe Pesci in it, and I think rightly so. Joe Pesci is nothing short of phenomenal in this film. Like incredible, yeah. Probably the most terrifying creature I've ever seen in a movie. Oh, you know, yeah, without doubt. From yeah. start to finish, there's just not a, like there's not a oh. moment on screen you don't expect your pressure just to go absolutely insane. It's like the shark from Jaws when he's no. being calm, you're fucking <laughs> terrified. <laughs> That's you're more you're more terrified. You're more on edge. It's it's a film with such Pesci's incredible, but there's it's a film. The best thing about Goodfellas, in my opinion, is the sheer verve of it, the sheer pace. Oh, yeah, it's it just, stop. it just, no, it's relentless. And the fact the film is, I mean, it's good two and a half hours long, and there's pretty much voiceover from start to finish. There's not, there's not actually yeah. that much dialogue between characters. You know, there's, there's the scenes you remember, but there's a lot of stuff. Every, every scene's almost got a, like a, an introduction via voiceover, which is so brave yeah. to do that, like for a whole film. It's all right to do it at the start of the film, to like start the film off at the end of the film. But if you continue to do it throughout a whole film, you think the audience might lose it, and it also might, look, might appear to be lazy storytelling because it's you have to explain yeah. something at the start of it but it doesn't it totally works and it, and it just drives that film along it, like it just does not stop and start to finish and it's something that constant movement is not done it and doesn't do it for the next few films but there's a few films actually more recently that he's done where that constant frenetic pace is still is, is a key element of what makes a film you know move so enjoyable and you know good film it's, it's, it's alive almost, it's it's untouchable as as Literally, it is fantastic. Although, in touch with Smith, you the phone, I think that's an even better film. Um, that's just one personal. Kevin Costner. Um, 1991, I watched this <laughs> literally in the last two weeks for the first time, um, which is the remake of Cape Fear. Was that the first time you've seen Cape Fear? Yeah, I've seen I didn't the, know I've that seen the when you were messaging me. No, I've seen the 19. Ah, the old, yeah. I think it was. Um, but I've never seen the, the, the Nero one. Um, I had seen the Nero, maybe I had years ago, but I hadn't seen it for a long, long time. Um, yeah. So the thing about this one, apparently the guy who had the rights to this film originally was Spielberg, and Ooh. Scorsese had the rights to Schindler's List, and they, they basically they swapped. 
Sweeney done. No way! Yeah, they traded them off, yeah. So, Fulwark said, I, I don't know who it was initiated, but they basically won the Monte Dollar one and they basically traded it off. So, one got, which it's worked out for both, to be fair. It's not it's not a bad trade off. I think Fulwark yeah. will get the better end of it, although it may be physically nearly destroyed him, but I think he you know, has a film that lives in forever as well. <laughs> but, um, you know, yeah, Cape Fear, I, it's, it's a well, good remake. Which is interesting. I actually really enjoy the remake of it, and I I like the original. And um, this is generally one of my favourite Nero performances. I think it's so fucking weird, and um, it's so yeah. bizarre. Um, yeah, it's it's he's he's given free reign, isn't he? Completely. <laughs> yeah, it's like someone just said, right? Well, he's he's obviously went the opening day. I'm going to do this, and everyone's went. Your Nero will let you do what you want. He's like, really? He's like, yeah, you do what you want, and he's just done what the hell he wants. Um, <laughs> I like. Yeah. It reminds me a lot of, have you seen the film Lucky Logan with um, Daniel Craig? Uh, yes. I am yes, pretty I sure have, Daniel yeah. Craig is doing a role in your own impression from Cape Fear in that film. I'm 90% sure that. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I wouldn't disagree. I think it's really odd. I think, imagine if you were, like, say, a De Niro fan from, like, all through, like, he's, he's good fellas and he's raging bulls and he's taxi drivers on his mean streets, and then you go and see this. I don't know if you'd be, ha- like, would you mm. be disappointed by it. It's, it's definitely, it's, it's, it's not the same kind of guy as it's, it's, it's a completely different kind of man. No. And no. So I don't know. And you, that's that's what makes it interesting. Yeah. To us, but yeah, that's to, to fanboys, they might not be why, on board. Mm. Yeah, like that's why King of Comedy is more interesting. Because like we were used to the new gangster idea, but it's just seen the guy that he's doing mm. almost almost effeminate at times. But I think it's just the accent has of that. Yeah. But it's it's just it's a very strange Daniel performance. But I, I think it's a great performance. I really I really enjoy it. It it stays with you and the the. Soundtrack's incredible as yes. well. The, the the music is, is absolutely fantastic, and it's uh, there's a menace throughout the film. I, th- I I found I watched it again about five six years ago. It felt a little dated. It felt a bit early. It did feel a bit early nineties in places. It, I, I, would, I felt. I for me, weirdly, I think any film made in the early nineties feels more dated than films made any other time. There's something about films made between like yeah. 1990 and 95 where they feel so... Why is that? I don't know. Maybe because we can partly remember that a little bit. Maybe, yeah. You know, I don't know what the 80s, 70s, 80s were like, so any that film could seem mm. very dated to someone who was alive then. But I, I, I really... Any film made in the early 90s... And some of the films I absolutely loved in the early 90s, but they do feel... Like, I watched Outbreak recently, which is one of the most 90s films of all time, and it just felt so, oh, so, yeah. early, so, so 90s. Because like, the technology just feels so out of whack. Cause they are using mobile phones, but it's not quite <laughs> mobile phones, you know, that kind of thing. Um, but not keep, yeah, yeah I, quite I, halfway I, between, yeah. It's a, it's, a, it's a romp. It's a fun romp, and I, I like it. Um, watch it. You can't watch the original. It's, it's a good... It's, it's actually relatively... It's a very decent remake of... The original film, um, try and find it. I think it's on Sky if you're looking for the original one. After that, Age of Innocence, yeah, I need to get around to it. Age of Innocence, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I, I like Age of Innocence, I like Michelle Pfeiffer, so I like Age of Innocence, and I like Winona Ryder. <laughs> I'm quite young in this, so I don't like Winona Ryder. Um, Daniel, Day. <laughs> um, Daniel Day in it as well. Yeah. Did he win an Oscar for this? I'm so many dead, he wins for everything he does. Um, <laughs> I, don't, I don't think he did. Do you know what? This is, this is, this really? is one miss. <laughs> It's a one miss, yeah. Oh my god, I didn't think of yeah. that. I didn't realize that. Holy shit. Daniel Day was batting a yeah. thousand, and all of a sudden, this is his. He goes into a Scorsese film thinking, well, I'll clearly want this for a Scorsese film. And he fucking whiffs on it. Oh my god, he's missing, he's missing open goal. Um, I've not seen, I, think I've, I think I might have seen a film a long time ago. I, I can't really remember it. You've seen it a bit more recently. Um, does it hold up? Is it a decent film? Is it? Yeah, no, it's it's really good. It's it's really good. I mean, it's it, it is a, a 
period drama of sorts, but it's pretty, it's pretty brutal, you know, emotionally brutal. It's, there's complicated characters, there's um, skullduggery afoot, and it's, um, it's, it, it, it's just really well acted, and it's, it's an interesting film. It's a, de- it's a deviation for Scorsese, ostensibly, you know, in terms of uh, what you're looking at and what the characters are and the setting and uh, the source material from Edith Wharton as well. So all that is markedly different to what he'd done previously, but ultimately the themes are pretty similar. It's about complicated people making bad decisions and um, hurting other people. And it, I, I think it's, it's, a, it's a really underrated film, actually. Yep. I like it. I will look it out. I, 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 I vaguely recall it. I can't, I can't recall enough to talk about it. Um, after that, 1995, Casino? Casino, yeah. What would you make of Casino? Is it too harsh to call it like a good fella's light? Is it, is it, is it too harsh to call it that? It, it feels like he's, he's going I always thought thing. of it that way. I, I thought of it that way, but then at the time, that and certainly when I watch, every time I watch, I go, bloody hell, Casino's good. Like every time I watch, I go, bloody hell, it's so much better than, I can't, I can't dislodge this idea that it is just diet Goodfellas. Yeah. But also, I'll take Diet Goodfellas because it's still going to be great. Yeah, um, yeah true. But then yeah. every time I watch it, I go, fucking hell. Fuck, fucking hell, how good is Sharon Stone? Like, every time I watch it, I go, Sharon Stone is fucking incredible in this film. Um, and there's still so much to love. I, and I, I, I just I geek out when, when Scorsese goes down these routes, these sprawling three-hour opuses about yeah. Uh, but yeah, if we're, if we're taking fanboy, if I'm taking fanboy hat off, then yes, that's, that is what it is. But it's still fantastic. So it has got a hell of a cat again, De Niro, Stone, Pesci, James Woods before he went crazy. Um, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Have you have you seen the behind the scenes stuff of De Niro and Don Rickles? Yes. Yeah, very funny. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> I love Don Rickles. Yeah, yeah just very funny. Yeah. I, again, <laughs> I, this, this is the thing about it. I, I I have not watched it for a long time. I do have it on DVD screen, so I may have to watch it again in the next couple of weeks. But I remember watching it thinking, this is going to be the next, this is going to be Goodfellas. And it's, it is Goodfellas to, to a great degree, and it has a lot of similar elements to Goodfellas. But it just feels like a band who've been apart for too long, trying to recapture a little bit of the magic that made Goodfellas something special. Which, like you said, it's great to see the band you like trying again. But there's something you go, I'd rather watch a, your greatest hit as opposed to this slightly lesser version. But as a lesser version of anything, it's still better than anything else out there. Which you're kind of yeah, like, well, it's it, that, yeah. What do I want thing, here? But I think yeah. What time was you going? I would probably just rather watch Goodfellas. The the thing is, it's it's more novelistic. It's actually more when he's delved into these kind of films subsequently. Goodfellas is actually a bit of an outlier because mm. the other films he can't recapture the verve of that. So instead, he bulks them out so they yeah. become more novelistic. Yeah. Um, um, so you get longer with the characters, but I almost want that with Goodfellas. Do you know what I mean? So, yeah, but um, almost yeah. what makes Goodfellas so special is the fact that it, you know, it's how quickly it moves. With this, this scene does not move yes. anywhere really quickly. Um, has, it's, no, seems, he's, it's seems, seems, seems like the head in the vice, though, but isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that's that's like kind of the major scene everyone remembers is the head in the vice. Yeah. Um, exactly. After Casino, I think Casino was still a big hit, so he's on a run of, run of hits just now. He decides to go off on, on a flyer um, with another box office flop, which was Kudun, Kundun, yeah. um, written by Melissa Matheson, who only mentioned she also wrote E.T., and she was a big kind of Spielberg um, sort of aficionado at one point. Passed away like three or four yeah. years ago. Um, yeah, so just, I've, I've not seen this film. Have you seen this film? 
No, no. And better. snobbishness has dictated that I just thought this is going to be awful. Um, I think it's. I think it's. <laughs> honestly, I think it's one of those films that you might have bought every copy of and just it's buried it as much as you could. I don't ever <laughs> see anything around about it. Um, like, yeah, maybe. He wasn't enough. He wasn't enough. Where Kenny remembers it enough to bury it, where he, whereas he won't bury. <laughs> You know, um, <laughs> yeah. the other couple he didn't like, he's like, oh, shit, I can't remember them, but he remembers this one. So I can't really talk about it to, to discuss it. I know it did flop at the box office. Um, again, I think if you've done a run of gangster films, also, and you bring up a film about some, you know, about the Dalai Lama and the Tibetan leadership, it's sort of, it's a, it's a dramatic <laughs> change from what people are expecting yeah. from you, which in itself is not a bad thing to do because like, you don't want to get, you do not want to be the guy who only does the same type of film. And, for the most part, he's not the guy who always does the same kind of film. So, call it for it. And probably if you watch it now, it might actually hold up as a better movie than you've not got the anticipation behind it of. Um, Quite possibly. Next one we'll up. Never next one up is a, is a partnership that he done once, and I wish he would do more because I think it's a, a partnership made in heaven, which is Bringing Out the Dead, which starred Nicolas Cage. Yes. I feel yes. Cage should work together more. Oh, my God. There's so much coke energy in the room. I just. <laughs> <laughs> You get high just from watching the two of them together. Um, yeah, again, man. What? This is a vastly underrated film. Um, you know, it's it's dark as fuck. I mean, it's one of the darkest Scorsese movies. You know, it's dealing yeah. with it deals with death in a way that's sort of more real. You know, it's, it has a sort of supernatural yeah. element to it as well. It feels more real than anything yeah. ever done because it shows like the deaths in Goodfellas and stuff are, are treated almost as blasé to an extent. You know, it's sort of it's it's part of the job. Whereas this is partly yes. what haunts this guy from start from the moment he wakes up yeah. to the moment he wakes up again. You know, dreams. Abs- absolutely. Yeah. I'm not going to say it's a constrained performance from Cage because he's never constrained, but you feel like he could have gone more Cage with it. It feels like it's not quite as Nicholas Cage as you'd expect Nicholas Cage to be. No, no. I wonder if that's out of some kind of um, maybe that's uh, instructed from from Marty. I don't know. Many people could get Cage to reign in the cage, but maybe Martin Scorsese. And uh, <laughs> maybe his uncle, to couple are good. <laughs> I maybe I think Coppola and him, because um, maybe the only two guys can actually maybe rein in Cage just to any sort of degree. Yeah. Um, it is, <laughs> I mean, like, there's moments in the film where he's a bit kind of yes, wide eyed, but there's wide eyed moments, yeah. But it's it's not you know the Cage from you know Bad Lieutenant. It's not that Nicholas Cage. It's, it's definitely no. a more no. sort of it's an, it's, it's almost I think he's always acting. I think he's always bringing something to the floor. But it does seem more Nicholas Cage, the sort of more traditional actor Nicholas Cage. Yeah. I yeah completely agree and I think that's the nature of the role maybe as well it's 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 Schrader again isn't it so it's you want that that quiet bubbling intensity whether that be this horror that manifests through these horrific dreams and everything else but it never quite boils over to maximum cage yeah very good film though very good film and again really hard to find unless you're looking for like just say the box sets it's quite tough to to pin it down, which is, I don't know Wind. why, do we want to film this did just sort of slip through the cracks? Because I think this, this is sort of his last small film for the next like 20 mm. years. He, after this, yeah. it was really big. Um, starting in 2002 with, um, this is the first one I saw in the cinema, this is the first uh, film I saw in the, in the cinema, which was Gangs of New York. Um, I remember going to see it, I remember liking it a lot when I first saw it, I, I remember rewatching it quite a lot because Jill really liked Gangs of New York. And I don't like it half as much now as I did when I first saw it. No, I'm the same. It's too long. It's way too long. Too long. Uh, I really like um, Daniel Day-Lewis. His performance is something genuinely really interesting. And it's, it's fucking Daniel Day-Lewis, supposed to be interesting. But it's a really, it's a, a, 
engrossing performance to it. But everything else around that film, it is. I genuinely don't have any interest in it. I find it a bit BBC drama at yeah. times. It looks cheap. And once I found out that the best pal in mm. it is the kid from ET, I, I just see Elliot, and that, that really throws me off as well. Yeah. <laughs> that throws you off. Cameron yeah. Diaz's accent throws you off. Yep. Um, and I'm a man who loves a good Irish accent, um, or a bad Irish accent for that. Um, it's also <laughs> the fact that the guy from Two and the Fat turns up in it as well. That totally throws me off as well. Oh, God, yeah, he's in it. <laughs> <laughs> um, that's something... <laughs> Anyway, so it's a film. I think it, I get people love the epic scale of it. It's got a great cast. I um, actually quite like um, oh, he's the Irishman. He plays the um, not John C. Reilly, like the other one, Brendan Gleeson. I like Brendan Gleeson in it. I think he's got a real kind of gravitas to his role. Um, obviously, like Daniel like, Lewis. Yeah. But everything else in it, I'm just, it, it, I'm just a bit bored. But I'd rather watch the Warriors to get the same kind of vibe. Yeah, I, I, I find it a real slog now. I, I used to love it as well. Yeah. Same as you. Yeah. When I first saw it in the cinema, because I think it was the first series time I saw in the cinema, and I was really excited to see a series of film in the cinema. Um, so it's 2002, I was like 17, so it was like it was a really exciting thing to go and see. But yeah, I, 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 would, I wouldn't say I'd skip it now, but I would, that would be my film yeah. I'd be making the coffee. Um, up next mm-hmm. is one that doesn't get great. This is when, you know, Guys in New York, importantly, was a film where he started working with DiCaprio, and that has continued on for you know, quite a bit since then. So, um, after that, he worked with Caprio again in a film called The Aviator in 2004, where it's basically the, the life story of Howard Hughes, um, which, again, I have in DVD, which is odd, because I don't remember liking it that much when I first saw it, but I have watched it again and do really enjoy it. Um, and I actually really like the Caprio performance in it. it you know, from, For the most part, I really, I really enjoy the performance in it, and I like the, the story it tells. I think it does take a lot of liberties with facts, which is a bit of a shame when you, when you do know your history. But overall, I, I, I think it's a good film, and I Oddly, again, overlooked by most of the, the sort of viewing public. Yeah, it's I, I exactly the same as you. Um, I did not particularly enjoy it when it first came out, and um, subsequent rewatches, I've enjoyed a lot more. Yeah, um, I I do think it needs about half an hour trimming. It, this is when you're right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I think uh, Blanchett always incredible. She's yeah. really good. DiCaprio definitely. Um, it, it's the. It, I think going to New York, he's still he's still finding his feet as from that transition from the young child teen actor, yeah. real, teen idol to proper thespian that we know is an absolute powerhouse now. Yeah. And now he's starting to embolden and, and take on roles uh, and really um, commit to them. There's a lot to really enjoy in the Aviator. There's a lot to enjoy. Yeah, he's now he's now doing a film every two years, so he is in, in, at this point in his sixties, so he is getting on a bit, but he's still churning them out. And um, two thousand six was The Departed, which is a film I've spoke to you about at length. I disliked a shit film when I first saw it because I love the film it's based on Infernal Affairs from uh, Japan. Um, so when I saw this, and he won an Oscar for this one, and again, great, he wins an Oscar, he deserves an Oscar. Well, he gets an Oscar for directing when he basically rips off another filmmaker's film, which I think defeats the purpose of getting a directing Oscar. But that's by the by. I rewatched it probably yeah. last week, I think I was texting you about it. It, holds, were, yeah. up be- yeah. it holds up better than, than I remember. Um, there's a lot of stuff to enjoy in it, there's a lot of good performances. The Capitol's good in it, he's really good in it. Um, Nicholson's probably his last kind of great, enjoyable role as well yeah. as sort of the, the elder statesman of Hollywood. Um, You've got Alec Baldwin tuning up the screen for like the t- he's only got like three scenes, but every scene he's in, he's just absolutely destroying it. 
um, yeah. Marky Mark yeah. as well. He's probably never been better. He is literally just not. destroying everything. Um, the only sad thing about it is I think, and it's probably something you can throw at a lot of Scorsese's films, is the, the female roles are very limited. Um, mm. And it's, most time, it's a lot of times non-existent. So he puts Vermeer Farmiga in the role as Matt Damon's sort of girlfriend partner in it. And she has literally nothing to do in it. She doesn't really do really anything in that film, which is it's yeah. a real shame for that kind of, an actress of that stature to be in it. Calibre, yeah. Um, but the film itself, it, 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 as a thriller, as a sort of detective procedural, you know, gangster shutdown film, it, it, it holds up as a decent enough film. I just, I don't like it in the same way. It's, it's revered quite a lot amongst audiences who seem to love it. Um, yeah. But, but I, I'm not as big a fan as it is. I, I can get people like it, um, but now nah, I'm, I'm not. I'm not a huge fan of the film. As I probably should be. It's, got, it's set in Boston. No. It's, it's got a drop in it. I should enjoy this film a lot more, but I don't. <laughs> <laughs> well, one, it, it, the source material is is vastly is is better, and yes. also, uh, and it's it just rankles because it's a greatest hits Oscar, isn't it? So it, it's not. It's it's a oh sorry we didn't give you those five Oscars you should have had by now. Yes. Um, and it's a good film. It is a good film, but it is strangely revered, and that makes likes of you and I quite contrary people go the other way. So if 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 we're being fair, we can say this is a good film. It's perhaps not as harsh. We were probably both quite harsh on it when it first came out. I was the same as you when it first came out. So like yeah. what. There's lots of a liking of it. Like, see, I love every, every word what? out of Mark, Mark, Matthew Wahlberg's yeah. mouth is just pure gold. It is brilliant. You know, there's not a single word he says in that film that is not instantly quotable, which I absolutely love. Um, yeah. But yeah, just yeah. Over, it, it's, again, it's, it's too long. It's a good two and a bit hours. It is too long. Yeah, way too long. Um, 2006, takes a break, doesn't go back to 2010. Uh, I think he was doing two films at the one time. This is why he's sort of a bit of a gap here. Um, 2010 was Shutter Island. Um, I think it's based on a book. Um, this is a film which I don't think we really like this film. My mum and dad really liked this film. I didn't like this film as much because I twigged this twist in the first like fucking five minutes of the film. Yeah. And I think once I, you know that the twist I, is, it completely ruins yeah. the rest of the film. And I don't yeah. think that's the fault of, of I don't think it was telegraphed. I just had an inkling early doors. I'm going, I think this is what this is. And I'm like, oh, fuck, I'll figure this out. And I knew where the film was going after that. And that really irritated me. But I think it's more my fault rather than the film. Because <laughs> Uh, I certainly didn't twig it that early, but I did. I did twig it. I did twig probably with like half an hour, forty minutes to go. And it was well, maybe when you know when you half twig something and you're like, oh no, I don't want to believe it. And then when it came, it wasn't the big reveal. So the film exists solely for that moment, really. So it's yeah. if it doesn't have it, then it's a house of cards. It just falls down, doesn't it? Yeah, I think that's the problem with it. Once I, knew, once I figured out what was the, the twist was, I'm like, ah, damn it. I, I'm, I'm totally, this song's not going to hold up in the same way. Um, also, I, I don't really believe the Capra as, as, a, as a FBI guy. I think he's too young still. He still looks too young. Yeah, he he's too boyish. Like, yeah. yeah. I, I buy him in, in, in The Departed because he's supposed to be uh, just straight out of the academy and they put him on the cover. I totally get that. The rookie. Look, yeah, the rookie, yeah. Whereas this, no, I, I, don't, I don't really buy it. Yeah. Um, up next, 2011, which I think was filmed at the same time as Shutter, and behind a lot of special effects, and it's why it took so long, which was a film that people dislike fucking a, a lot, and I actually think it's a lot more charming we'll give it credit for, which is Hugo, which is essentially Scorsese's yeah. love letter to cinema. And I think it's, number one, it shows that 3D in films, if under the hands of a, a filmmaker who knows what they're doing, can be a genuinely well-used um, facility. You know, it, it doesn't have to be just a gimmick. You can use it properly. 
and he does that in this film, um, as does Ang Lee in Life of Pi, so it shows that it can be used properly. And I think it's a really lovely, nice film, and the idea of Scorsese doing almost a kid's movie is quite sweet, but ultimately it's, just, it's a love letter for Scorsese to film itself, and I think it is a bit of a vanity project, you can see it's more of a vanity project than what other things are, but I, because I'm a film lover, I, I, I get a lot of charm out of this, and I actually really like this film a lot more than critics, box office, and general people seem to give it credit for. I think it's a really sweet, lovely film. Scorsese does Spielberg, I'm on board. Yeah, that's you know, exactly what it was. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I'm on board. I like Hugo, I really like it. I, I think it's so much heart, so much more heart than so many of his other films. It's not, an, it's not a quality we would necessarily associated with him. Um, it's, it's just, it's really open and, and big and sprawling and, and, and just warm. And then, yeah. then so he's still trying to make a the culture this man existed in it belittles the it's an absolute cracking film and it's it has the same drive and there as good films it moves in case it's absolutely the way you co-opted and interpreted by the idiots unfortunately when you're doing satire that pushed alone that's gonna happen um and that is i think you like the majority of people say that maybe they probably is quite a high proportion of people yeah. unfortunately um, so, 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 but the propulsive quality of Wall Street is it's electric. The performances are fucking incredible. DiCaprio should have won for that rather than Revenant, without doubt, in yeah. my opinion. I don't know who won that year, but he's he's just fucking amazing. Jonah Hill deserves a shout. He was wonderful in the supporting role. There's so much energy and it's so funny and then tragic and devastating again it's just a great character study and a, a, a real rewatchability. and again it's oh. not knocking over three hours yeah but it, it, but it moves so quickly that you don't even notice three hours gone by it is, it is in constant yeah. watching that film the camera barely sits still for any point in time and that's what makes it so so watchable even the scene when it slows down they're on the drugs and they're sort of crawling across the car park that's still so so watchable and that's because you need a breather Based on what's came before it, you know, yeah, yeah, you film's just fantastic to watch. But no, I think, it's, I think it's a great movie, and I just wish the rest of the world would understand the message in that film as opposed to taking it as you know, what the rest of the world would take it as. Agreed. Up next, 2016, um, a film which is probably, if there's a, another side to Wolf of Wall Street, this is it, like the, the opposite, the polar opposite of what Wolf of Wall Street was, um, and that's Silas, which is starring, yeah, and Garfield. It's like he's combined lots of different elements. He's only successful films, the challenge, and he's put them all in the most challenging. Pop. So yeah. he's gone with like the glacial, the glacial pace of some of his maybe more auteur style films. And then he's gone with um, the length of even some of his gangster films, but he's lost the energy. <laughs> so yeah. you've got glacial, you've got length. He's gone completely minimalistic on dialogue. He's, he's original, but it's everything's hushed, everything's hushed, and 
I have the book now to read, so I'm actually intrigued to know how much of the book is in the oh. film. Um, the Hey You Paint Houses? Yeah, they've, they've renamed it The Irishman, which is what I hate when that stuff happens. Oh, um, no. Yeah, I think they have it. Yeah, I'm sure they have. Sure, I've got it in the book because it's, it's renamed as The Irishman, and it, it's like also known as, you know, that. So when I finish it, I'll send it down to you, but um, yeah, that, I'm, I'm intrigued to know where it is, you know, how much yeah, man, definitely. Book and, and how much is in the, the film. Um, but yeah, so a couple of notes about Mr. Sussex at the end of this. We've got okay. 25 films he's done. 1.9 million box office, so he's done not bad box office wise over 25 films. You want, to have, you want to take a guess at his biggest hit? Good films? No. Wall Street. Wall Street. Yeah, Wall Street. Bear, bear. From what yeah, I looked at, a decent, yeah. a decent chunk. Um, Wall Street. Done nine films with De Niro, five with DiCaprio, but I can see him doing more with DiCaprio in the next few years. I, think. Yeah. I don't see him dropping DiCaprio anytime soon. Um, no. Nine Oscar nominations, but only one won. That's and, ridiculous. And, I think we can both agree the one he won it for probably isn't the one he most deserved to win it for, to be honest. It's not, not at all. Not um, at all. It's not Oscar worthy film, which it isn't. Yeah. Um, I will mention, because I know you're a big fan of him, he's, docu- he's done a few documentaries in his past um, as well. He's particularly honed in music, obviously. He seems to be a big music fan. Um, first yep. one was in 1978, done one with the band. You know what, The Last Waltz? Did you ever see The Last Waltz? The Last Waltz. Yeah, that's great. It's really good. good. Um, yeah, very good. And then done two with. Uh, about Bob Dylan, No Direction Home in 2005, and Rolling Thunder Review in 2019. I've heard, yep. No Direction Home I've heard is excellent, but I've not actually got around to watching it. I, I know a massive Dylan fan at work who has even told me that Rolling Thunder Review is a bit, what's the sort of kind of word he called it, but he said it, it felt long and it felt just too much, is what he described it as. He felt it was a bit, I can't remember exactly what it was, he said he just didn't embrace it the same way as No Direction Home. He said it was, it was just, it was, it was just too much of a concert film, I think he said at one point, compared to No Direction Home. It's it's interesting. No Direction Home is definitive. It's hmm. one of the, it's probably the best music documentary I've ever seen. It's incredible. Um, Rolling Thunder Review is for fans. Yeah. Really. Um, it's very sprawling. It's a lot of just footage of them chatting, him really yeah. high. It's really interesting. It's a proper historical, like a little window into history. Yeah. Um, and and some of the live performances are great. Like it, they're really, really electric and alive. And he's got a proper band and it's this kind of really creative arty scene. Um, and there's some great behind the scenes footage and live performances, but it's not cohesive. It's not, there's no narrative to it. It's, right, okay. it's no talking exactly. heads or anything. Yeah. It's just, it's a bit sprawling and it's, it is a bit too long as well. It's probably about half an hour too long. Um, also, in Living in Living in the Material World, about George Harrison in 2011. Did you ever get around to watching that one? What? Yeah, it's wonderful. Yeah, wonderful. Yeah. yeah, genuinely really worth your time. Fascinating. It's like a two-parter. It's a good three hours. But the first part is all the Beatles and then the second part is his solo stuff. But, uh, just a really interesting guy as well. Yeah, yeah Harrison. Um, I've heard interesting stories about Harrison of late. Apparently, he was one of the guys that funded a lot of movies and stuff like that as well. He put a lot of money into that, and just he was yeah the uh, yeah, just... Mon- the Monty Python guys. He basically yeah was the reason yeah, that any of their films got made. Time, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. He's a good man, Harrison. Yeah, seems like a decent seems like a decent guy. Anyway. Um, I know it's we always do it at the end of these pods. What's your top three for season? If 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 you're pushed to name three. Oh God, that's hard. Uh, Goodfellas is one. Yes, Goodfellas has to be one, and then I think, ah, Jesus. Okay. Whoa, Jesus, I don't like this. Okay. I think Goodfellas number one as well. If it makes you feel better, I went for one Goodfellas. 
The Duke. Um, I'm going to go Wall, Wall Street 2 and Raging Bull 3, but it pains me not to put Irishman in there. We've got, the same one in, we've got the same one in three, actually. I went for Raging Bull number oh. three as well. Um, I'm putting uh, yep. Last Temptation in at number two. Great show. It's a great yeah, film. I, I, I love I'd film. love to rewatch. Yeah, just quite find the fucking thing. Just, it seems very hard to find nowadays. Yeah. A shame. Um, Mr. McFall, I enjoy doing these little wanders down filmographies with yourself. I love it, mate. Thank you very much for having me. Always enjoy it. Have a think who we're going to do next time. Do you have any idea who you want to do next time? Who can we do next time? There's no, is there any point doing the Cone Brothers? I feel the Cone Brothers are just because liking everything. That's the problem with the Cone Brothers. I think you just that's, what, that's what I mean. That's what, is it going to be boring? Let's just wanking off about it. Yeah, I feel like it should go like down those lines. It's just, it's just there's too much love for the Cone Brothers, too much love for Tarantino, too much love for. <laughs> um, yeah. Smith could be a good one because you don't really particularly embrace the final, his last sort of second. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, you're, you're a bit more. And I'll, I'm bibbling. There are moments I love, but yeah, that no Smith would be a good one. And yeah. then um, I'll 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 rewatch some of the more recent stuff uh, before we do it. Yeah, and um, yeah, but that is us for this episode 150. I thank you, Mr. McFall, for joining in. And um, so I've been Richard. You've been Stu. Thank you. Listening to three beers in a movie.